MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to announce that the eight-week online Transcend course is back. Become certified in learning the latest science of human potential and learn how to live a more fulfilling, meaningful, creative, and self-actualized life. The new cohort starts on June 25th and will include more than 10 hours of recorded lectures, live group Q&A sessions with me, small group sessions with our world-class faculty, a plethora of resources and articles to support your learning, and an exclusive workbook of growth challenges that will help you overcome your deepest fears and grow as a whole person. There are even some personalized self-actualization coaching spots available with our world-class faculty as an add-on. I'm happy to announce that just for Psychology Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off the course by going to transcendcourse.com and entering psychpodcast in the coupon box. We will be closing registration soon, so I suggest signing up as soon as possible. We have so much fun in this course, and you will receive a lot of support along your self-actualization journey. Just go to transcendcourse.com to register and enter P-S-Y-C-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Psych Podcast, in the coupon box. I look forward to welcoming you to the Transcender community. There are people sitting out there going, oh, I've listened to that person religiously. I follow them on Instagram, and how dare you? It might be working for you, right? And that's wonderful. But I also think there are a lot of folks who are suffering as a result of believing it works for 100% of people for the rest of their lives. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, we welcome my buddy Dan Lerner to the podcast. Dan is an in-demand speaker, author, strengths-based performance coach, and instructor of one of the most popular undergraduate courses at New York University. Dan's expertise in positive psychology helps people lead thriving, successful lives. He works with students, artists, athletes, and numerous Fortune 500 companies and executives around the world. Whether it is speaking, coaching, teaching, or writing, Dan injects intellect with motivation, science with compassion, and makes change both exciting and fun. In this episode, Dan and I have a podcast improv jam. We talked about so many topics that were of mutual interest. As positive psychologists, we both have a deep interest and appreciation for human potential and how we can cultivate it through education. 
We also discuss the important components for long-lasting friendship and how to find a healthy community in this day and age of echo chambers. We also hope you enjoy the conversation about personality, leadership, the self-help industry, and mental health as much as we did. So without further ado, I bring you the great Dan Werner. My man, Scott Barry Kaufman. <laughs> how are you, brother? Daniel Werner, it's great to have you on the Psychology Podcast. Man, it is an honor and a pleasure, let me tell you. This is uh, going to be an improv jam today. Dude, I'm, I'm ready. Let's, let's improv it up. Who knows what could happen? Who knows? It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> now, you're like really high objectively on both aspects of extroversion. Whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> because both <laughs> one, <laughs> one aspect is assertiveness and the other aspect is enthusiasm. Mm. And you embody both of those things. But how do you self-identify? Like when you think to yourself, you're like, yeah, I'm an extrovert. You know, look, I've done lots of work in extroversion and introversion. I've taught it. I've thought a lot about it. I've you know, observed as many people as I could. And it's been an amazing tool or maybe guide to helping me understand other folks and how to interact with them and try to, try to really understand their preferences when it comes to communication styles. And for me, I know that I am an extrovert. There's no question about it. Okay. But I am also very aware that I, I need some serious downtime. It's funny because, you know, you and, I, you and I are friends and you know this. There have been times yes. where I just am not ready to respond. <laughs> I yes. need a little time. I'm a little drained. I may, have been, I may have been extroverting hard that day or that week. So you're human. I'm human. That's right. And as you know, everyone has, it's a preference, extroversion, introversion. And there are times when uh, we need a little bit of the other, you know, yeah. and, that's, and that's that. Some of us need 1%. I, I had a a uh, colleague I used to work with, amazing guy, this uh, sort of celebrity chef guy. Mm. And uh, he was the most extroverted person I know, right? He would stand on a table to make a point, right? And it was loud, you know, and it was great. And that was him. And even with him, I am sure there were times where he's like, I need to breathe. And that might've been for Definitely. two minutes instead of 20 or two hours or a day, but everyone has it. For me, it's who I've been for a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And a lot of the work that I do plays to it. Right. Yeah. And I would also argue a lot of the friends that I have, like you, when you and I get together, we are very extroverted together. Uh, we, are. we are. You need your time. I need my time. Right. But that's where that's my comfort zone to a great extent. I think better when I speak out loud. I, I get more energy when I'm able to share uh, verbally uh, as opposed to writing, which one of the things I always found fascinating about you. I kind of want to turn this around to you because no, you're someone it. who has this podcast and you have been. You're amazing in conversation with folks, with me, with the guests you have, with the people I've seen you with in, in social interactions. But you also uh, have that, you know, thumper of a book, Transcend, and all these other books where you have sat quietly and thought and processed well. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to know your perspective on your own extroversion and introversion, your tendencies, preferences, so on and so forth. Ooh, I have a lot of enthusiasm for things that I have enthusiasm for i think i have more domain specific enthusiasm than than the big five can capture <laughs> because i have a lot of non-enthusiasm i don't you you have domain general enthusiasm dan but i feel like i'm more yeah. domain specific <laughs> and for assertiveness i uh again i think it's very domain specific like i have a lot of grit and a lot of uh a lot of like, uh, yeah, well, that's consciousness is a different domain, but um, a lot of assertiveness for like when I really need to or when I really need to 
to say something or do something, but I, I feel like I mostly just have uh, this very kind of carnishing this, this sort of Zen way of being uh, with people until, until I need to up, up the dial, turn, turn up the dial on the assertiveness, you know, but I don't know <laughs> if that's my default. I don't know if, you know, but I think that is your default. You know, there's like this, like constant, like go, 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 go <laughs> energy that you bring, you bring to every situation. And I think that's super interesting. And well, it's a, a heck of a lot of fun hanging out with you. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right back at you, man. Right back at you. I, I, you know, it's funny. I think that's one of the things that, I mean, I'd be curious to know how yours developed over the years, mm. right? Like how you've been able to cultivate or curate a life and a lifestyle that allows you to, to bring whichever is most appropriate to the fore. I would also say what you mentioned before about a general enthusiasm a lot of people will ask me that and they'll say oh, you, you know you always happy you always enthusiastic you always energetic and i'm like hell no you know you just don't see me when i'm not enthusiastic. you don't see me at my stuff. worst <laughs> yeah exactly i mean you don't want to see me at my worst but you know look you ask me this question because you and i are, are interacting and people ask me this question when we are interacting but when i'm maybe by myself or home alone or something <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not like Bouncing off the walls. I'm like, do, do, do. I'm kind of laid back now. But people get me fired up. So people tend to think this is how I am. You, however, as I said, you have this context. And but people, let me just say, and this may well be edited out. Scott Barry Kaufman, away from the, from, from, from the psychology podcast, wild man. Wild man. <laughs> Loud and vocal and super, super engaged and engaging and like super social. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see. I highly encourage you to find him. It's appropriate. Don't stalk him or anything. Stalk me. But don't stalk if me. you get the chance to hang out with him, there's Thanks, a lot Tim. more, there's a lot of Scott Bray Kaufman there and every little bit of it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you saying that. Our friendship goes, goes way back and we have so many mutual interests. One mutual interest yeah. of ours is education and helping to mentor young minds. Tell people a little bit about yourself, I should say, and, uh, your interests in, 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 uh, in helping young people thrive? Well, you know, I, I'll give you the real short version of how I got here. As, as Scott said, one of our interests in, uh, that we share is education. For the last 10 years, I've taught a course called, uh, actually, I've co-taught a course called The Science of Happiness, along with my nice. very good friend, Dr. Alan Schlechter at NYU. And we teach about 1,000 students a year about well-being. Uh, not only the opportunities for well-being, we tend to think of happiness and relationships and meaning and purpose and passion and things like that. But we also spend quite a bit of time on the, uh, the challenges, right? Alan's an adolescent child and adolescent psychiatrist. What's stress? What's anxiety? What's depression? What, what, what is mental illness? What, is, what does therapy look like? So we don't want to ignore the, the hurdles. But I got into this because I was really interested in performance and peak performance. My parents were both professional musicians, uh, classical musicians. I spent 10 years in the music business as an agent. And I got really interested in two main things. One is why when you take two people of seemingly equal potential, mm. uh, one could really shoot to the moon and the other one could either have a rocky road and or potentially really never realize their potential. But the other was that everyone we represented, I was at ICM, was successful. Everyone's making money. Everyone has their name in lights. Everyone is achieving at a level which is pretty exceptional around the world. Some of them are really fulfilled and some of them were, dis were remarkably unfulfilled and unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to know what divided, uh, what separated the two. So I went back to school to study performance psych and positive psych. And I think the theme that's run through everything is that I'm fascinated by human beings, that I think everyone has a unique potential. 
And that whether it's a performer or an athlete or an executive or a student or just someone I run into on a subway or in a bar, I'm fascinated to know what makes them unique and where they are in the process. Uh, and if I can help, that, that makes my day. So, so it's your extroversion yeah. interacting with your openness to experience. <laughs> thank you for thank you for uh, thank you for the diagnosis, Doctor Kaufman. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> this makes for an interesting combination. That's wonderful. Your social curiosity is such a great character strength of yours. You spent ten years in the talent industry from the musical talent. That's classical music, right? That is cl- that's classical music. My, my parents are both classical musicians. We may even get to this later because it's one of the reasons Scott and I are such close friends. My father yeah. was in the Pittsburgh Symphony. My mom was an opera singer. I represented opera singers, conductors, directors, those kind of folks uh, here in New York. Well, based in New York, but around the world. Yeah. What was that like? Did you enjoy that? Oh, man, I loved it. It was amazing. I mean, look, I love music more than maybe anything, any other pursuit or field or art form. And I think most things are art forms. I, I see sport as an art form. I see business as an art form. But music is uh, something that it is, it is my path to transcendence more, more frequently than any, anything else. So to be able to work with young talent, which is what I specialized in. When I say young in classical music and opera terms, we're talking like mid-20s or so. It was amazing. It like hit on everything I love, helping other people in a field that I loved, looking at audience and th- audiences and thinking, man, just wait until you hear this person in a couple of years as they're building up. Like this entire audience is going to be like, right? So being able to bring that to the world and individuals was really very, very special. Very special. Yeah. It was a wonderful decade. How long have you been really interested in talent then? Like even like going back before that, have you been long fascinated with why some people are great, why some people aren't? Has that been an interest of yours for a long time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think even in high school and college, I was fascinated by other people around me, what it was that made them special. And not saying that anyone was better than another. There was no hierarchy. It was simply that guy's, you know, freshman lacrosse player and uh, she's playing the violin and he's a, he's a mathematics major and she's studying anthropology. And what is it that makes them so unique as human beings? And how are they going to realize it, right? So having these conversations was always just a source of great pleasure for me to be able to listen, but also to help if I could. And I found early on that a lot of people come just to, Come to me just to have these conversations and kind of run something by you or I've been thinking about something and or conversations that I know that, and still today, I know they're not sharing things that they share with me with a lot of other people. So if I can be that resource, fantastic. I feel like I'm giving back in a wonderful way, you know, um, which you do a lot too. I mean, I, I'm going to, I can turn everything around you, Scott, because you have a classical music background too. You I know, do. you have a history. I'd... Yes. Sing us something, would you? What's, hey, what's your favorite opera aria? I want to know that. If you could stand on the stage of the Met and sing any aria, what would it be? And why? La chibarem la mano. <laughs> there. Don't stop there, baby. Don't stop there. I'm trying to remember the words. <laughs> Scott has just sung an aria from, uh, an arietta, I guess, from Don Giovanni. Mozart's Don Giovanni. He is seducing a woman at a window. And it is just romantic as hell. <laughs> You'd be fantastic. There you go. Different, di- different character saying Look at you go, man. Didn't 
remember the words. Yeah, man. We should just sing this whole podcast. I would have to remember the words. But that's that was that's Leparello. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. And you know what? You'd make a marvelous Leparello. Think about it. Thank you. You know what? Leparello's there basically to help. Yeah. I mean, he does some pretty unsavory things, which you don't. But he is a tremendous when it comes to, I am here to help this guy. And he pretty much stops at nothing. Until the I, end. I, I love that character. Yeah. Hell raises up and he runs away. Yes, he runs yeah. away. Rightly yeah. so. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> in that scene, it's so funny. He's like, yeah, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of yeah, here. Exactly. But yes. <laughs> Don's on his own now. But, um, uh, you know, I, I also would love to play the role of Don Giovanni. That would be fun, too. I'd love to play that role as well. Yeah. Well, you would not be the first person to do both roles. They're interesting. I well, you play a lot of roles, Scott. I, never, I mean, how did you end up in all these different roles? You coach people, you write, you do podcasts, you you teach, you do research. Um, and I'm I only hit about thirteen percent of your overall uh, of, of what it is you do. What percentage are appropriate to discuss? Well, you know, I might ask you some questions later as we get increasingly comfortable here. That your listeners might go, "Oh, I had no idea." I, I really, I've always wanted to ask Scott what's one thing he's never shared on air that he that he's ready to share and. We may or may not get to that. We'll see what happens. See what happens. But you know, I, but it's fascinating, Scott, because me I think, yeah. we're in an age of like of uh, specialization, yeah. And you have managed to get involved in so many different parts of work and life and the world and your field and things beyond your field and stretching, you know, our field. How have you done that? Oh boy, sacrifices, sacrifices. Yeah. I don't have children. Say more, say more. Like, what have you sacrificed? Boy, I mean, I think there's a certain kind of a single-pointed-mindedness to uh, a lot of this that I've had for many, many years of my just relentless desire to redefine intelligence. And when I have a book project, I go so so deep into it, you know, and that, that flow state is just really so intense that I can um, I can spend days and days and, and uh, forget to respond to people's emails. Or Oh, I know. Forget to return the call from we for, mom. We forgive you. We forgive you for that too. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> we Thanks, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, like, like I said earlier, I have very domain-specific enthusiasm. So if I if I go into something, a project, I just really want to put my my all into it. And uh, well, that takes a lot of sacrifice. I mean, it takes a lot of real single-minded focus on something over and over and over again could be related to just as well OCD symptoms as well, but, <laughs> but let's be more charitable. <laughs> Put to good use though. Put to good yeah. use. Yeah. 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 What's the common thread? If you were to say, you know, what, what's the common thread here for what it is that you're doing? Everything you do. And, yeah, let's, and, let's, and we're not going to go there yet, but even the things that you might not have shared with your listening audience, right? Hmm. You don't have to mention anything there. There's nothing untoward people. <laughs> what's what's the thread that runs throughout? <laughs> I love that we're doing this live, not live, but we're doing this uh, recorded on. My Thank podcast. goodness, because I was like, "This is live." <laughs> <laughs> I would have worn pants. Um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, now, no, I mean, I think this major thread is uh, is human potential and. And wanting to inspire people to be better and to make the choices in their life that lead them to growth. And also just for society to broaden their notion of what human potential looks like and not limit it so narrowly yeah. to uh, IQ tests or not limit so much to, to one slice of a person. 
even like physical attractiveness, I think is, uh, we can reduce people to that and not, um, really appreciate their finer qualities, you know, and, uh, just looking deeper at a yeah. human. Yeah. Multidimensionality, baby. <laughs> Thank you for adding that baby yeah. to the end. Well, you're doing, you're doing a bang up job, man. Yeah. It's all about multidimensionality. I was going to ask you what you've sacrificed, but hey, your show. Oh, you know, I was, I need to think about that. I mean, maybe I've, I've sacrificed relationships. That's possible. I'm really uh, spending as much time and relationship on romantic relationships as I perhaps could have. Uh, maybe I've sacrificed tenure <laughs> at, right. a, at a university because yeah. I, uh, I really uh, value that independence so fiercely, the independence to have flow. So I probably have not taken jobs that I could have taken these sorts of things. Sure. But sure. I've, what I've gained is immense. You know, the, you think about the, uh, the difference between uh, what I've given up and what I've gained. I mean, I have such high quality friendships, yourself included. I just have such a great support structure of authors in a network who I really appreciate. And so there's just, there's just so much gained by really getting, uh, sticking to your principles and sticking to your values and sticking to the things in your life that you know are right for you. And, uh, yeah. And being ruthless about that is, I think it's tough, but it's uh, it's meaningful. Right. Yeah. Ruthless is an interesting word. Yeah, it's not an interesting we, word. At least I tend to connect it to things that are that are not as savory, you know, that things that we might not admire, cutthroat, so on and so, so on and so forth. But being ruthless for your principles, for your values, uh, for what's meaningful is a very different uh, way of putting it. I love that you phrased it that way. It can be ruthless sometimes. I mean, you can have a million people asking things from you and yeah. uh, and being ruthless in terms of like, if it's really not a line, just be like, nope, 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 for everything I'm doing? Yeah. Oh, man. It's really just, like I said, I, I love helping people. Yeah, you're a ball of love. Well, you know, I have that on my business card. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Lerner, since 1971. One big ball of love. That's, you know, that's how I describe myself. <laughs> that's what I see in you. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that, man. It's, it brings me great joy to see other people living great lives. And if I can help, like I said, it's exactly what I'll do. You know, I think that I, the struggle of the sacrifice, one of the struggles for me is managing time that way. Because if you have a bunch of folks and you really want to be helpful for everyone, how do you do it? You know, I saw a bunch of students yesterday and I was talking to a colleague the other day and they said, yeah, I have office hour. I keep it to an hour, do it once a week. Many students get in there, they get in there. I think I met with six students yesterday, each one-on-one. -on -one. The promise I make before every semester or the first class of every semester is, I, you know, if you reach out to me, because there are 500 students in the classroom, if you reach out to me, I will take you out for coffee. And it usually ends up being like an hour at least, and maybe a walk. And so yesterday, you know, you teach until 1045, and then you meet with students until like 445, because you want to have these conversations and they're wonderful. And you get home and you like literally collapse because it's a lot. It's mm -hmm. a lot to be able to, to try to give. And you don't regret it, but you do sort of find yourself wondering, what do I do? Now, you know, my family's out of town right now. They have been for a number of months. My son, as you know, is a, is a performer, so they travel a lot. 
And so for me, I don't have to worry about not coming home to family right now. But what happens when they are? And I'm like, how much time am I going to spend with this? How much more time am I going to spend in conversation with somebody? I'm always like the last person to leave a conversation because I love them. Meanwhile, mm, I know I, do. I have other things I should probably be doing, writing, prepping for. Uh, so it's really about a balance. But yeah, uh, ultimately, it's about giving of ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. Do you ever feel like students feel entitled to your time? I guess I tend to frame it differently. And I can to it's a great question. And I can totally see how and why you're asking. I mean, you've been teaching for I think, longer than I have, right? And at different universities. So you had a huge array of experience with students. You know, it's interesting. I, I met with a student yesterday for, I think, the fifth time this semester. And every time we've met, he's had some really good questions. And they've usually been about himself and other relationships and particularly a relationship with, with his parents. And I've probably spent five hours with him this semester. And one could look at that as entitled. Well, you know, I need my time with you. And therefore, I'm going to take my time with you, you might think. But the story he told me yesterday, like, Scott, I held him back. But like, when he walked away, like, I went to tears. I mean, what he shared with me about the culmination of our, of our conversations about how he would speak to one of his parents, yeah. who, he had, who had been really challenging his entire life, who had been, I'm not going to use the word abusive, but had been incredibly demanding, over-demanding, to the point where it really hurt their relationship. And the way the conversation he had with me when he told me, I sat and talked to my dad on Zoom, they live in another country. He said, my father, by the end, he was in tears and my mother was holding him. And he was saying, I totally hear where you're coming from. I will be, I'm going to do my best to be a better father. I'd never thought about it that way. I thought, man, you know, if it takes a measly five hours, to get to a point where this kid is so excited to go home and see his parents in a way he hadn't been in a long time, worth every second. So, I mean, do some students feel like there's like indulgence going on there? Yeah, there are some, but I figured they wouldn't ask me if they didn't need an ear. And uh, so there you go. Could I ask for anything better than this kid to have a better relationship with his parents after 19 years? Not much. So, not in that regard. There are certainly students who are like, I deserve an A plus. Mm -hmm. And I'd be the paper. And I'm like, you actually deserve like, you know, like a TA would grade it and be like, I don't want this B. And I look at it and I'm like, you actually deserve like a C minus. So I think there's an entitlement in terms of grading and expectation of what they deserve in certain other ways. But I kindly set them straight <laughs> in a way where it's, let's help you get better at this. Have you read Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt yeah. and Greg Lujanoff? It's been a number of years. Yeah. Does that resonate with your experience in, in the class or do you see the issue differently? Well, I'll tell you what, because we're jamming here. We're just I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. Jamming away. You I, I don't know about you. Like you're, you're, you're teaching too and you're teaching a, a mighty big class right now. And you always have you've heard, you know, taught big classes. You have a lot of experience with students. How does that resonate for you? What's your experience with students and what are your thoughts in relation to that material? Are you dodging the bullet? No, I'm, 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 I'm tossing you back the redirecting the bullet pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the speaking pillow. Now it's yours. <laughs> He's dodging the bullet. Okay. Yeah, you are. But, uh, you know, I love the point that they make <laughs> about students increasingly suffering mental illness. 
on campus more so in the past 10 years and a certain fragility there among the students that we have never seen before. Do I agree 100% with the framing of, you know, we need to just teach more anti-fragility classes, you know, like uh, tough love? You know, I don't know if that fits my style of the way in which I like to address the issue. Um, I like to also include a healthy dose of validating their experiences. I always find that goes a long way, you know, than a sort of spirit upon which a lot of people who read that book really, the reason why they love the book is a lot of them are, you know, like to make fun of the kids, you know, in a way of like, yeah. look at the, those liberal snowflakes, right? I mean, that's it's not a compassionate lens to bring to the table in my point of view. And we have to be honest that a very large proportion of people like that book for that reason, so that they can be like, ha ha, see, look, so finally someone called out these idiots, right? But I, I don't think that's the spirit upon which, with which Haydn and Lukianov uh, really, really mean it. Um, I think uh, kn knowing both of them, they they really would like to see greater mental health among the students. Uh, the question is, what is the right uh, balance of validating experience versus permission, letting them overstep, you know, everything in ways that they don't uh, learn or grow? You know, at what point do you show tough love? You know, sometimes. Uh, in in what which is ultimately good for their growth, and I think that's that's an interesting uh, line. I don't know exactly precisely what that line is, but I know it when I see it. Um, <laughs> it's like other things, you know. I know when I see it. I, I, yeah. What's up, I, Supreme Court? How you doing? I know when a student is asking for so many accommodations uh, that they don't need. I know that. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Look, the challenge too is every student's different. In terms of their needs, and I always, I always look at these students who might fall into the category of being coddled um, as here are students who have the opportunity to grow up. How is this student? Where is their opportunity? Yeah. You know, how, do you, how do you provide that for them? How do you speak to them? How do you share feedback even? What are the questions you need to ask to better understand that student? Right? Why might they be a little fragile? The ability to... to help one student mature a little bit uh, or improve a little bit or become less fragile or develop more resilience. I'd rather sort of put it that way. Resilience. Is going to be very different from another, right? Yes. I mean, what do you do with a student who has zero resilience? The, every single slightest thing, they fall apart. You know, um, what do you do with that kind of student? You know, it's like, you know, yeah. let's say you give the, the easiest homework assignment and they're like, oh, it caused me so much stress. I couldn't do it. It's, it's like, okay, <laughs> what do you want me to do about right. that? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's that, that, that kind of, honestly, that kind of response from a student, if I heard that from a student, and I, I certainly have, my tendency is go directly to tell me about your experience here in college. What's working for you? You know, like, tell me more about why you ended up here. And I want to know... As opposed to how are you here? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, students, like, that's the thing. Like, college students, man, you know, they knew where every meal was coming from in high school. Not all of them, but many of them. You knew where you were eating. You knew when your class... The bell literally rung. Do you remember those days? When yeah. you'd be sitting in class and the bell would ring. You're like, oh, time to go to the next, next, next class. Saved I know where by I need the to bell. go. And by the way, if I'm not there, the hall monitor is going to catch me and I'm going to get in trouble. Right? Like, there's... 
everything is so structured and you go to college and it's like, yeah, you can go to class and not go to class. I don't know. You know, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. You know, uh, you can, you don't know who you're going to be sleeping with. I mean, roommates, of course, roommates. But like, now the point is like, everything is, everything is wide open. And that is a stress into itself, right? So, and it's always been that way. So I'm not using that as an excuse. When we were in college, you know, low those many years ago, when I, you know, when my parents took me to college in the horse and buggy, it was no different. But there are factors right now that are clearly really challenging. And I, I think, and I don't think every instructor thinks about it this way. I mean, mm. I guess I'll frame it this way. I don't think every university instructor thinks about it this way, but I certainly think, and nor should they, I'm not saying they should. Part of my job is to help a student as a human being, not just as a vessel for information. But look, if, if you look at the data, it's emerging over the last decade on empathy, period, in the workplace even, right? Empathetic leaders, there's a huge benefit to having empathetic leaders. When it comes to retaining employees, uh, overall well-being and happiness, productivity, create creativity, empathetic leaders matter in a huge way. And so from, from me as, a, as an instructor, I, I guess I think I'm a leader and it's important for me to be empathetic. And so I'm going to be here to listen. And look, you can do this class. You can take this class. You don't have to take this class. I, I had a student who failed twice, right? I was like, dude. You just failed happiness twice, you know? <laughs> Look, a lot of us fail happiness in life. So I don't mean to make light, but it's, I I'm know. still here for you. You know, you want to come back, take it again? I'm going to give you those papers with tons, tons of feedback. You want to re rewrite them? Rewrite them. That's yeah. the opportunity. Might be a pain in the ass to you, but tough. You know, I'm still wow. here. Let's do it if you're down. So. Wow. Is your class hard? No. I don't think it's hard. I mean, Students are supposed to have something like 45 hours of total work, I believe, on a four-course load. That's before you spend time with friends, before you might have your job or your second job to pay college, before you're playing your sport or part of your club. I don't think it's hard. I think that it's not easy, but it can be challenging provided you take on the opportunities that we try to present. Mm. Right. You can yeah, look, anyone can write a reflection paper on a gratitude journal or on use of character strengths or food, mood or sleep. But if you really want to dig in, spend time thinking about what you're grateful for and why, if you really want to dig in and spend time thinking about about how you're putting your character strength to use throughout the week, it's going to take a bit more time. Hmm. It's also going to be more meaningful and hopefully more enduring, have more of an impact on that student. So. I don't think our, our, we don't see our job, Alan and myself, to, to make it hard. We see it to make an opportunity for students who want to work hard to not only learn the information, but to create change that they're looking to create. I wish I could take your class, Dan. You can. You're invited. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I'd pass it. <laughs> Sounds hard. Man, come on. Pat. Hey, you know, but this is one of the things, Scott, is that you are one of the people I know who knows the change takes time and takes hard work. So. I see you doing these things, you know, setting a course for meditation for yourself, getting off of social media for a certain amount of time, getting involved in practices, working out or, or other exercises that are beneficial for well-being. And when you lay into the man, you don't, you don't go halfway, steal with both hands, like get it done. And there it is all in hundred percent, hundred percent. Thanks. So you're like the ideal student. Oh, thank you. Man, you'd be amazing. You know, or, or alternatively, yeah, you could come and teach it. <laughs> <laughs>
let's talk about friendship. Yeah. What do you think is the secret sauce of a good friendship? Well, you know, it's funny. One of the things I thought of before we started today is how you and I met. If you're cool with that, it's worth, it's worth sharing. You mean it, on Grinder? There we were, naked in the Ganges. And um, I looked over at him and I thought, who is that very, very, ha-? no. We met over at a dinner where we were both invited guests. Yeah, correct, correct. And we had been sort of shunned to the end of the table. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and yeah, yes, I'll just, I'll leave it at that for right now. And I was like, oh, everyone else is so far away. But there's this guy sitting across from me. How you doing? What's going on, man? How are you here? And long story short, Scott at that point was running the Imagination Institute at Penn and told me a bit of a story, which I'm sure 98% of your listeners know because it's an amazing story and who could forget that story. And so when Scott wanted to study intelligence, he wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon. His way in was to audition for the voice department. Would you like to take it from there? No, no, no. <laughs> I want to get to how we, uh, how we met and everything. He said, yeah, I auditioned for the voice department. I got in as an opera singer. And I was like, wait a second. A, that's amazing. B, who's your teacher? And Scott said, Mimi Lerner. I said, that's my mom. It's your mom. And that's it. That's my mom. And I was like, all right, man, the world's too small. And it's, I think Scott might have loved my mom as much as I did. And actually, from what I can gather, she loved him maybe even more than she loved me. <laughs> but that was it. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I was thinking about this. Like, what was it? There are a few people in life, I can literally count them on one hand in my entire life, where you knew you were going to be friends within the first five minutes. I don't mean friends like, oh, maybe we'll hang out. I'm like, oh, snap. Like, brothers. We're going to be good friends for a long time. Brothers. Exactly. Scott always says, you know, we both say, my brother from another mother. And so there are clearly some essential elements, well, elements of French, characteristics of friendships that that we can put down on a list, uh, proximity, shared interests, so on and so forth. Mm. But the secret sauce is an interesting one, mm. you know? And I think if we could really know exactly what that secret sauce is, that would be on the front page of the New York Times for the next 375 years. Maybe, yeah. But I'd be curious, what, what do you think the secret sauce is? Because you and I are so tight. And you have a couple of friends who you're really tight with. And I have a couple of friends I'm super tight with. What is it? Well, I think we we uh, underestimate the value of similarity. As much as I talk about universal love and how we need to overcome tribalism, I think when it comes to friendship, I think the ones I'm closest with are those that are dialed into a similar frequency as me, similar set of values. Some people would look down upon the fact that I don't really have that many close, close friends who have very different values from me. They may say, oh, that's hypocritical of me considering I I preach universal love. Mm -hmm. But I'd say, well, I think I do show universal love to those with very different values than me, but doesn't mean that they earned the the right to be my good friend. (laughs) Like, um, I think there is something to to say for similarity and um, worldview and sense of humor. I think that we really underestimate the value of sharing someone's sense of humor with someone else. You know, we both get really dirty in our sense of humor when we're hanging out uh, with each other, uh, when the microphone's Filthy. off of us. Filthy. When the think, microphone's off of us. Think so. Bob Saget, people. Uh, think Bob yeah. Saget. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not full house Bob Saget. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the aristocrats Bob Saget. 
<laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> You've seen that movie, right? I did. I saw that movie. Yes. Okay, good. All right. Yes. All right. People, yes. you should all go see that unless you have sensitive ears, in which case you should stay as far away as possible. From go on. I'm sorry. Well. So, yes, we have filthy, yeah. dirty senses of humor. Go on. Yes. But respectful. So, right? Yes. I think that's underestimated yeah. in a friendship. I was going to say, I want to hear what you want to say next. No, I want to hear what you say. <laughs> I want to hear that's what you want to say next. What I was going to say. I want to hear what you want to say. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> oh, us. Uh, well, I mean, but building up from friendship to community, what does yeah. it mean to find a healthy community? What's an unhealthy community, Dan? What are the characteristics of an unhealthy community? Oh, that's that's such an interesting one. And I'd like to think that there was a time when we were having conversations. And maybe that's part of friendship, too, when you have a back and forth. Just to take a step back to the previous topic, you know, I was so interested to hear about your life. And you were seemingly equally or at least doing a really good job of pretending to be interested in, you know, what my life was like, too. Yeah, I was. Not pretending, but yeah, I was. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, you're going to break it to me now? Actually, Dan, I don't give a peep about you. I just, you know, yeah, I just think you're very handsome. <laughs> So uh, I think community-wise, and to your point also about how we get super tight with people who might have shared values, I think there was a time when community, you could have lots of different people with lots of different values, and you could have conversations, and they'd be civil, and there would be, there would be a back and forth, there'd be a dialogue. The community now, it's sort of like, it seems increasingly, everyone needs to agree on almost everything, or you're no longer in that community in a way. And I'm not just talking politically. I'm talking about socially, right? How, how are we mm. thinking about equality in our community? There's, there is such little room for, for discussion about that, that mm. it's almost like we shy away, especially in our professional lives. I've certainly had dinner table conversations in my community that has gone awry. And some folks you don't see as much but certainly in a professional life, the risk is huge to taking a misstep. And so whether we are consciously doing it or not, I think a lot of the way we cultivate community, both professionally, but also personally, is am I able to say things without fear of repercussion? Um, so I think that that has led to unhealthiness in the way that we form communities. Uh, I'd like to think a healthy community is being able to push back and have a healthy debate about something. But that's ever more challenging, especially in the day of recording and video. And, you know, it's a, it's a very touchy thing, very touchy thing. So who can blame you for staying closer to people who might share those values closer and, 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 clo and, and making the circle of trust a little smaller and, a, and building the walls a little bit higher, whether you're conscious about it or not? Unfortunately, that takes away from our ability to grow. It really does. It really does. Uh, I like to, you know, mix and match different communities, uh, not necessarily bring them all together, but be a part of communities that perhaps wouldn't be a part of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And but it's, so, nice it's funny. Yeah. You and I were having lunch the other day, and I said, I asked if you'd ever seen Woody Allen's Zelig. Mm. Uh, not that I should be talking about Woody Allen per this conversation. Right. But, um, but like the ability to sort of meld into different places is. I think it's such an amazing skill and you have that in spades. Thanks, man. Yeah. How do you do that? I mean, for the folks listening out there who are interested in, and I'd love to expand my suite of communities to be able to be involved in other things. 
and learn from other folks and be a part of, of that. How do you do it? You know, you just do it. You just do it. You, uh, you be, you be among people. You do it. You do it. You're, you're very high in social exploration. I feel like someone could say anything to you and you would turn it into a question. So I'd be like, oh, Dan, your face looks like a, I don't know, whatever, a pancake that got, <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, oh, tell me, why do you think that? You know, I feel like what, someone could say something crazy to you, right? And you'd be like, oh, why do you think that? I mean, I feel like I could see that. I could see you responding to someone that way, you know, like, before you punch them, uh, at least you ask a question first. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right. But I think I've honed it over the years, over the past really five years, more than ever. I mean, there were times before I was like, you know, I wasn't, I want to ask a question, but it was hard to ask a question yeah. when it was so, where it was borderline offensive, what someone was saying. Was, you're not, I'm not learning anything from this. You know, tell me more about that. Tell me why you think the way you think, so on and so forth, because that, uh, that's the only way you're going to have that dialogue. Plus, when people talk, about things, they feel they feel like they're more understood, right? Yeah, and they are. And we're not going to change our mind. We're just shooting to understand them if I understand it correctly. So, yeah, humans are humans. Say that again. Humans are humans. Yes, humans are humans. Humans are humans. But uh, I would say if there are folks out there who are looking to expand their communities, that's it. That's a get curious. What do you stand to learn from this person or this community? Like, that's all. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll save that for another time. But start getting used to asking those questions where you want to know more as opposed to trying to tell them what you think. Right? Yes. I uh, love it. Well, what do you think about the self-help industry? Well, I'm just going to drop that one on me like out of nowhere. You couldn't have been like how the Yankees these days. I know you have some strong opinions. I do. I do. Self-help community, man, uh, this is one where I really want to turn it back to you, not dodge a bullet because I'm fascinated. Also because, and, and frankly, because I'm a little afraid about what I'm going to say. So how do we, where do we go from here? I mean, I'll say it, but do you want to, you want to like lay down the groundwork on this one? No. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. Can I use but foul language on this podcast? <laughs> yes. Of course, of course. No, there's no reason to resort to foul language. No reason. No reason. Uh, people swear because they don't, they don't know the words to use uh, to express what they're trying to really say. Yeah. Uh, I think do I just... think words matter? I do think... I, oh, words are some of my favorite things uh, in life. Yes. So I'm going to avoid... As much as I love, and I won't say it, dropping a good F-bomb. I mean, fuck. It just feels good. Uh, you know... I don't have to go there. I am not a huge fan of self-help industry, but I think, um, uh, whoa, that's controversial. So controversial. Yeah, I know. I know. Look at me getting all controversial. I'm not a big fan. So you know, edgy you, now. I know. Look at this. How many people just turned off your show forever? Oh, that's Scott Barry Kaufman. I loved him for all 773 episodes until he asked Dan Lerner about self-help. I will never listen to him again, ever. How could he have that man on there? What's wrong with self-help, Dan? You know, here's the thing. If Next I say, thing that, if I, when I say that, Scott, you know who's going to call me after this podcast drops? Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson's be like, "Hey, I heard you Scott Barry Kaufman episode on self help. I'd love to have you on the show." That's that's how controversial it is. No, Tucker, I'm just going to tell you right now, 
not going to show. So self-help. I look at self-help from a both historical and efficacious way, I guess, right? But I think it's really important in the spirit of understanding it to, to get a sense of what it is, right? Because if you just use the word self-help, there is nothing wrong with helping yourself, right? There is nothing wrong with someone pursuing um, materials or individuals that they think will be helpful in their quest to have greater well-being. The challenge I have is that nobody has one self-help book on their shelf, right? They have 40. And then as soon as they're done with that one, maybe 30 days after because they've tried to do whatever that self-helper told them to do for 30 days and realized it didn't work and now it's time to go on to the next one, they'll buy another one. I am challenged by self-help because 95% of it is built to be sold rather than to be, I, I, I think, and marketed to sell as many as possible, right? Rather than to be genuinely helpful and employing science in a way that would be beneficial for folks. You know, when you start a book with, this book will help every individual who reads it, or a session with, everyone here will walk out of here a better person. You're setting the tone for people to potentially be less happy than they were when they walked in the first place or read that book in the first place. What's wrong with me? You know, if everyone else is supposed to be helped by this, why am I not being helped? Why is it not working for me? I felt great when I went to that week-long workshop, you know, and I felt great for another week or two afterwards, and now here I am again. I need to go to another workshop, right? Um, I think it's preying on people's, uh, on people's unhappiness. It's preying on people's lack of fulfillment. And rather than being effective too often, not always, depending on how we're defining it, it's an industry that basically is built to have you buy more and more and more. What are your thoughts? I could go on, man, but I want to know what you think. Well, but, but what, so what's a better approach? So how do you help without the self-help? I guess I would take the word easy out. I take the word everyone out. I take the word or term seven days or seven things or 30 days, you know, out. I think that getting help more often than not, not every time. There are people sitting out there going, but I bought so-and-so's book, or I went to this workshop, I feel great. There are folks out there who benefit, don't get me wrong. But real work is hard most of the time. Yeah. Real change is hard. Yes. So being able to sit, if one has uh, the means or if one, ha if one has the, um, uh, the resource one-on-one, -on -one, or even in a group setting where they are going on a regular basis with a professional who's been trained uh, in uh, a mental health professional. I think that's it. And it's not easy. And it's not 30 days. And it's not standing in a room and, and jumping up and down. That might be helpful and it, you know, be, might be part of your one's path. And it's not reading a book and deciding that's the one thing. I think it's about a process in which you are working with an individual or a group who's been trained specifically to help people uh, with well-being. Right. That, that is where I would go. I think it's about hard discussions. It's yeah. it's about realizing that it's not all good. Yeah. That you can't necessarily manifest everything in the next 30 days. Right. right. That there is no you know course of miracles, which by the end of which you will be bulletproof if you drink that coffee. And because your atomic habits will awaken the giant within. Right. I can string them together all day. Uh, you just you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Those are some this is fighting the, words. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, they are. They are. But look, we have to take into consideration what the science says. And if someone is spouting and saying there is no downside, you better believe that there is. And so I think it goes back to those therapies. Like, are we doing the work? Are we really asking the questions? So uh, well, I won't go deeper into certain individuals. But if you look at the science supporting a lot of it, kind of bullshit. But it is eye-catching. It is definitely eye-catching, right? Yeah. For like the anti-vax campaigns, right? Like the science is bullshit. But hey, it's been made into something that's super it's glittery. So I'll stick with it, right? Rather than look well, deeply into like, the science. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's what makes you different. It seems like you care about evidence-based. Yeah. And uh, that's not everyone really cares about that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And look, like I said, there's some things that work. I have always said, and I, when people ask me what I think about somebody like Tony Robbins, I'm like, I think the man is one of the most charismatic human beings I've ever seen in my life. And if people come to him and he can help them, that is amazing. There is no research supporting what he does. Why? Because you're not going to get 100%. Because no research will give you 100%. And once you drop below 100%, your marketing power goes. Now, look, his interventions... Look, maybe there's 72% effective for a certain population. That's a really impressive number, right? Maybe you are feeling better for the next three to six months. That's really impressive. But I want to know which groups. And I want to know who it's right yeah. for. And I want to know how long. And I want to know how to follow up. You know, so I don't mean to take anything away because there are people sitting out there going, oh, I've listened to that person religiously. I follow them on Instagram. And how dare you? It might be working for you. Right? And that's wonderful. But I also think there are a lot of folks who are suffering as a result of believing it works for 100% of people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. It's a really great point. And how do you, uh, how do you add that nuance while still, making, right. uh, while still inspiring people uh, and yep. giving them hope to at least try things uh, is, yeah. is, is tricky. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's wonderful. To, uh, I, really like, I really like a lot of your points. The world needs a book from you, Dan. Okay. <laughs> Tell me uh what's a book. Book? any any book in particular? I can it can I do it in crayon? We need you to write a book. You you sounded a little bit you started sounding a little bit like John Stewart and I I don't know how to why. I think that <laughs> your tonality and everything started and he's he's very he's a very smart guy. He's a very smart guy. He is. But um He is. Yeah. He is. Um I'm not as smart as well, John Stewart, look, but I but I'm good with, with um with imitations. So yeah. Who can you do? Impressions. I think I can do some John Stewart. Uh, I can do some. Uh, Who John Stewart? I can do some Bill Clinton. Uh, people, I can do a Barack Obama. So no, no, no. I mean, I can't put me on the spot like that. I'm good with accents, you do but an right now, on the psychology podcast. Why well, saying opera <laughs> earlier? So <laughs> that that's true. Yeah, it's true. No, I think I froze on that one. I can do better impressions. Cut that, cut that. But I do, I do very, very good Russian accents. This I do very, very well. So, but a book. I mean, I've read a book. Like, uh, you know, the question is on what? It's something I've struggled with for some time, but uh, this may be one of the topics. I'm passionate about that. Well, because, you know, just like, like you and I are passionate, passionate about helping people, I'm passionate about things that are yeah. hurting people. You should write a book on uh, taking on the self-help industry. That, that should be the book. You should just go all in. Thought about it. It's there. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll, written we'll talk outline. more about that. I have a title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll so maybe. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. But you had, I mean, you had, um, what is his name from the quick fix on? He was terrific. Right. I mean, I think he did a nice job of uh, addressing a certain part of that. 
part mm. of that industry too. You know, Jesse Singal or exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'd like true. to see it from the side of and what do we do, right? Yes, this is a problem. What do we do? Yes, some of it's yes, good. I agree. How do we understand what's good and what and how can people understand what works for them and what are the questions they might want to ask and and what are some things they can do knowing this is not the end all be all. Let me take a little bit of Dave Asprey and a little bit of someone else and let me do some therapy on the side. Like, you know, how do we do it? What's right for me? That's right for me. That's that's the million dollar question. Self-actualization is where it's at, my man. That that's my that's my uh it's my jam. I've heard of that about you. I've heard of that. <laughs> You're a big self actualized guy. Hey, that's hey Scott. Yeah. You should write a book yeah. on self-actualization. Oh. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Dan. That's a good idea. Sure. Yeah, see? Good idea. Full of good ideas, man. I knew you had it in you. Can't wait. Can't wait. You know what? That book Dan, is going to be tra- yeah. it's going to be transcendent. I'm very excited for it to come out. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Well, our time has come to an end here today, but um we have 56 more topics that we were hoping to discuss. So, I'll have to bring you back on and we we should do some we should periodically uh uh, have an ongoing uh, series with me and you on this podcast. What do you think? I think it's an amazing idea. I'd love to do that, man. You know, the more time I hang out with you, the better. Our conversations are always amazing. And any opportunity to do that and share that and hear from you and have this conversation, I would more beyond welcome. Yeah, there's a lot more topics to cover. Thanks for coming on today and doing the podcast improv jam with me. <laughs> Thank you for having me, my brother. Thank you to everyone who's listened as well. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.